Crossing family, it is so good to be with each and every single one of you this weekend. I want to welcome those of you joining at all of our different locations, online and inside. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first time, or perhaps the first time in a long time. And if at any point in time during this service you want to get more connected, learn more about our church, take your next step, I want to encourage you to use the QR code on the seat in front of you. I also want you to know that in my opinion, you are surrounded by some of the very best people on planet Earth. Now look around, you may disagree based on where you sit, but there's a big, there's lots of places to sit in all of our different locations. And if you're watching at home, well, they're yours, okay? If they're not the best people on planet Earth, you probably had a, a part to play in that. But speaking of some of the best people on planet Earth, I would like to introduce you to Cole Miller. I first met Cole when he was in the youth group of uh, my best friend and roommate in college. The Crossing Macomb was in her infancy, as was the Crossing Macomb thrift store. And my friend Matt's youth group was getting ready to go on a, a mission trip over spring break, and they were gonna go to Mexico. But due to some challenges uh, that were happening at that point in time, it was not a good idea for them to travel, and so they were looking for a place to go for spring break. And for those of you who know Macomb, why wouldn't you go there for your spring break? <laughs> and so uh, it was a perfect fit. We had a lot of work that needed done, and they were looking for a place to serve and make a difference. So Matt brought up his youth group, and in that youth group was Cole Miller. Cole went on to feel a call to go into full-time ministry. And he's, when he graduated from high school from Texas, which it's a Texas high school, so he struggles with, you know, reading and writing, but he's, he's making serious progress. But he went on to my alma mater, Ozark Christian College, and was trained to go into full-time ministry. He went on to go into full-time ministry at that church down in Texas. And then about a little over a year ago, he joined the crossing team at our Pike County location. Yeah, which we're super excited about. He is married to a wonderful woman named Allison, and three, or about three months ago, they welcomed their first child, Thomas James, into the world. We will grow our locations by any means necessary. And uh, he is an up-and-coming leader at The Crossing, and I asked him to come and help me preach this sermon. So would you guys please welcome to the stage from Pike County by way of Texas, Cole Miller. Come here, man. You're going to do great. Uh, now, I should note this. We also hired two of his friends. Um, Hunter Escobar is the worship leader at our Macomb location. Mm -hmm. And Nick Cannon, that's right, we have our own Nick Cannon. He <laughs> works at our 929 location. And I, I just need to say this, to, if you are a part of any of those locations. Um, winter's coming. And these boys have never experienced a real winter, Okay. When you talk to them in Texas, they're like, yeah, it's down to 40 degrees, you know, highways are <laughs> shutting down. They have no idea what February's like. And so uh, if you could help them with some Carhartt gear, uh, because I don't want their fragile Texas skin cracking in our harsh Illinois uh, winters. Uh, these guys very well could have hair on their chest for the very first time. <laughs> and we are all very excited about this, okay? <laughs> Man, uh, that's, a, that's a heck of an intro. Um, anyways, uh, thanks for having me. I've got to say, it is an absolute honor. It is an honor to be a pastor 
at the crossing and an absolute honor to be a pastor to the people in Pike County. Today, Cole and I are going to continue in this sermon series on the Gospel of John. During our Weeds in My Garden sermon series, one of the leaders in our church sent me a picture of, this, of the side of his daughter's Bible. This is what it said. This is how I fight my battles. The picture captures perfectly. Isn't that great? The picture captures perfectly Cole's and I's heart for this message. Every single one of you, you are going to have battles to fight. And some of the way you fight those battles are going to end up having, uh, causing you to fight more battles. And some of the way you fight your battles could end up starting new wars. But God's word will never let you down. It is a light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. It is the very best way for us to fight our battles because it is the source of godly wisdom and it is our rule of Christian faith and practice. However, I'm guessing that some of you have opened your Bible and you have started reading and all of a sudden you found yourself looking at the pages of scripture and uttering these words. Anybody at any of our locations? Okay. The rest of you didn't raise your hand? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll deal with that later. Can I let you in on a little secret? Even those of us who have been spending considerable time in God's word on a regular basis, from time to time, we bump into scriptures that just don't make any sense. So what do you do? when you're reading and you're trying to grow in your relationship with the Lord and God doesn't make sense and his word doesn't make sense and sometimes even your life doesn't make sense. Can I tell you something? Come here. Just because something doesn't make sense doesn't keep you and I from loving. It's not an excuse to top, stop pursuing and it doesn't give us an excuse to not lean in. Cole, give us some examples of that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think in fact, one of the best examples of things not making sense can actually be found in marriage. For instance, and men, I'm going to make sure this just isn't my wife, help me out here a little bit. But have you ever noticed that a woman has the distinct ability to carry a bag of trash all the way to the garage door, but not the additional 30 feet to actually just put it in the trash bin? Preach, Cole. That that does Preach. not make sense. <laughs> and uh, ladies, I'm, I'm a nice guy, right? So, like, uh, I'll pick on men too, right? For example, have you noticed, men, we can organize a garage, we can detail a car, but for some reason, we can't take our clothes off the floor and put them in the laundry bin. That doesn't make sense. Uh, I got a couple for you, and listen, fellas, I might need a place to sleep, so be thinking about how big's your couch. <laughs> have, have, have you noticed, fellas, that it is impossible for uh, the ladies in your life to tell you how long it's going to take them to get ready? They've been doing it their entire life, but they have no clue how long it's going to take. They're done when they're done, Okay. But they can tell you no matter where you are on planet Earth exactly what time you need to leave to pick up the kid to take him to the very next thing that they need to go to. How many people have had that experience? Man, you can back me up. That does not make 
sense. And I'm an equal opportunity offender. So, ladies, <laughs> um, here's something uh, a gift for you. Have you noticed that your man can remember exactly how the deer was standing, where he came from, how many points he had, the direction of the wind, the temperature, what they shot him with, how far he ran after they shot him, <laughs> but cannot remember your wedding day or your wedding colors? Are there any ladies who would go, that does not make sense? <laughs> so just to be clear, we experience on a regular basis things that, well, they don't make sense. But that does not keep us from loving, growing, or deepening our relationships. And the same is true with our relationship with God. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some stories found in John 11, 12, and 13. And as we do that, what I'd ask is pay attention to see if you notice things that don't make sense. So John 11, as we begin, we're greeted with some, some bad news, okay? The first thing we find out is there's a guy named Lazarus who was sick. In fact, he was sick enough that Lazarus' sister sent word to Jesus that, well, he wasn't doing too well. We find that in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. After two days, uh, Jesus and the disciples, they set out to go see Lazarus, and on their way, Jesus reveals to them that Lazarus had died. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Eventually, Jesus, he's surrounded by Mary and Martha and a whole crowd of people. Jesus, he sees Mary weep, he sees the crowd around him weep, and it actually leads us to the shortest verse in the English translation. John 11:35 simply says, Jesus wept. Right after Jesus weeps, he tells them to take away the stone in front of the tomb. And I, I love this part in scripture because Martha's like, hey, Jesus, uh, dead people stink, right? Like, you might not want to move the stone away. It could smell pretty bad. Uh, Jesus, he goes, well, this is for God's glory. Then after a quick word to God, he calls out to Lazarus in verse 43, and he says this. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out alive, y'all. Man, I'm like, what a powerful story, right? Like, Jesus, he brought a dude back to life. That is awesome. But not before doing a few things that make you go, well, exactly. That does not make sense. First and foremost, Jesus finds out one of his friends that he loves from a family that he loves is sick and going to die, and he decides to kick his feet up for a couple days with the boys. Uh, it was just the other day that my wife found out that her grandma was going on hospice, and immediately she was trying to figure out how she could drop everything and how she could get down to Texas and see her. Jesus just waits two days. And did you catch it? Jesus literally said in verse 4 that Lazarus's sickness would not end in death, and then he died. Clayton, you're a professional pastor, I take it. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. <laughs> then, and this is crazy to me, Jesus was like, yeah, if I had been there, he would not have died. 
And Jesus was glad that he wasn't there, right? And I'm not like an overthinker. I don't think I am. But it just leaves me wondering, was Jesus glad that his friend died? Because that doesn't make sense. And the thing that blows my mind the most, man, this is absolutely wild to me. It's verse 35. Jesus wept. But he wept knowing that in just a couple of verses, he was going to be the one to bring Lazarus back to life. Man, I, I got to say, Clayton, I think you're right. Like, there's certainly things in Scripture that don't make sense. And in fact, John 12 doesn't get any better. Well, it does happen to start on a happier note. Jesus, he was attending a dinner in his honor. You know, he raised Lazarus up from the dead. And uh, with that, we aren't told how good the food is, but instead we find out that Lazarus' sister Mary takes a pint of expensive perfume. And I'm talking expensive. When I say expensive, I'm talking about the Louis Vuitton special. This was some nice stuff, okay? Now, I, I actually, I, I know quite a bit about the uh, cologne and perfume game. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is because I am too big to stink. Like, if I smell bad, I could ruin a car, a plane, a city bus. And so, if, and, and you know, if, if a normal, you know, normal-sized man were to, you know, have a bad day, nobody would notice. But when you get to this size, it's a real liability. And so, there is, and I mean this, this is like letting you in, there's never a time in my life where I am not wearing cologne. Ever. I have it in my car. I have the same kind in my bag. I keep uh, the Febreze stuff in my office. I'm, I'm, I shower two, three times a day. I just don't want to be that guy who walks up to give somebody a hug because that puts you right in my armpits. <laughs> when I do, listen, when I do international travel and they have like the tax-free place and everybody's buying, you know, their cigarettes, I go in and buy all the cologne that I can buy. Because I'm like, I got to, you know, I got to stay away from the tax man as much as possible. Well, uh, Mary is taking this cologne that is, or perfume that is worth a year's salary. This is more than likely the greatest asset that she possesses. What would, what would that be for you? What is the most expensive thing you own? Is it your car? Your house? I, I don't know what you have. What I do know is that Mary takes a perfume that's worth an entire year's salary and pours the entire contents on to Jesus' feet, and then she wipes it in with her hair. How in the world could Jesus allow a woman to take 20000 50000 100000 I don't know what you make in a year, and dump it at his feet? Between you and me? That feels like a complete waste of money. Think about all of the people that it could help. Think about how we could solve community hunger. I mean, you don't even have to be that critical to think about how many people you could win to Jesus just by buying him a slice of Casey's breakfast pizza. It just doesn't make any sense to waste all of that money on Jesus' feet. It really doesn't. And in fact, you and I, we're not the only ones in this story wondering why Jesus would allow something like this to happen. In fact, one of the disciples asked the question in verse 5. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
it was worth a year's wages. And you know what? Which disciple said that? It's heavy. It was Judas. And I don't know about you, but my goodness, <laughs> it, it scares me. It scares me that the, the thing in this story that makes the most sense to me is the thing that makes the most sense to Judas in the same exact moment. Well, as the day and the chapter come to a close, we get these words in verse 37. He says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And quite honestly, this is extremely disheartening to me, right? Like this really gets to me. Because I want to believe so badly that if I could see Jesus in the flesh, that my faith would grow so much stronger. But you've got people here, they saw Jesus in the flesh. They saw Jesus raise a dead man up to life. And they still didn't believe in him. It just doesn't make sense, right? Well, we've got one more chapter, John 13, that we're going to look at. But before we get to that, I've just got to say, do yourself a favor. Do your family a favor and scan the QR code in front of you. I say that because we are rushing through those chapters, and there are so many good things happening in John 11, 12, and 13. And you will be better by finding that John reading plan and spending time in God's Word. So I hope you'll do that. But with the next chapter, John 13, we get another meal and even more feet. And I'm talking about some dirty feet this time. These folks, they wore sandals, right? They didn't have like the crock covering. I'm talking about the strap, right? They wore sandals and they walked unpaved roads. I'm talking about some dusty, crusty toes, Right? In fact, people's feet were so dirty and nasty that when you entered someone's house, they had the lowest member of the household wash your feet. But in John 13, something different happens. In the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up. He begins to prepare himself to wash the disciples' feet. And he washes them one by one by one. And the crazy part is, Jesus, he grabbed Judas's feet, knowing that he was going to betray him, and he still served him. And that does not make sense. He goes on to say this in verse 14. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus, the one we call King, the one we call Lord, the name that is above every name. He got down and he served them and he expects us to do the same. And inside of me, I'm like, come on, man, right? Like, feet are nasty. What kind of King or Lord washes his servants' feet? Well, the kind of King who says this. In verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And if you're anything like me, there's a war inside of you right now, right? 
Because you like the first part. A new command I give you, love one another. That's a great bumper sticker. But not so much the second part, right? Like, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It just leads me to think, you know, it's not the cross necklace, it's not the showing up to church, it's not the Bible verse tattooed on your arm, it's not the Facebook post about Jesus. The only thing that will truly identify you as a Christian is loving others. You know, Jesus, he's over here, he's loving people selflessly, sacrificially. And we're going, hey, we love because we get something out of it, right? We love something because we get something back. We love as long as it doesn't cost us too dearly. We love people who love us back. Jesus is going, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, hey, love your neighbor. We're going, yeah, but could you tell me who my neighbor is, please? As you can see in just these three chapters... There are all kinds of moments that make you go, that does not make sense. However, come here for a second. Doesn't it make sense that things with God would not make sense? After all, thank you, God bless you, and you keep coming, okay? <laughs> that, that you're trying to pack all the goodness of an infinite God into our finite brains, my worry, my fear, is that a God who made sense to me probably wouldn't be all that good, all that wise, or all that trustworthy. Hmm. So what do we do? Well, I think John illustrates in a couple of ways some tools that we can use when the Bible, when God, and when life don't make sense. The first principle for you is this, just because we don't see the reason doesn't mean that there isn't one. Uh, Jesus' delay in John chapter 11 was motivated by nothing more than love. There was a Jewish superstition that the soul lingered over the body for three days after a person died. Jesus, by waiting four days, left no doubt in the minds of all the people that Lazarus was completely dead. He waited because there was a reason. He waited so that there would be no doubt to the people there that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that people would eventually come to believe in him because of it. It makes sense to me that Jesus wept. There was a reason. Jesus absolutely loved all the people that were around him and he saw the sin in the world and it broke his heart. Hear me. Just because Jesus knows it will all be okay tomorrow doesn't keep him from weeping with you in the pain of today. Even though Jesus knows that one day everything will be made right in heaven doesn't keep him from going through the pain of all of the days today until we get there. I can't give you a reason as to why you might have lost a loved one or why someone in your life is hurting or sick. But I can tell you that for Lazarus, his sickness and even his death somehow managed to bring people closer to Jesus. I can tell you 
that when Jesus saw the pain and the suffering, his heart had compassion on the people, and it broke, and he wept with them. I can tell you confidently that even though you don't necessarily see the reason for your pain, there is a God in heaven who does understand the reason and loves you in the middle of it. Amen. The next tool is this. It's just because we don't get it now doesn't mean we won't get it later. You know this. Have you ever had an aha moment? You know the moment I'm talking about where there's this problem, there's this difficult situation, you just can't figure it out, right? And then one day you're going, oh, I got it, I got it, right? Then you sit there and you're like, how did I miss that? Check this out. Already we know why Jesus waited. We know why Lazarus died. We even know why Jesus wept, but there's more. Why did Mary pour out that perfume? And why was Jesus okay with it? Because as Mary poured out that perfume, she was recognizing Jesus as Lord. She meant it as an act of complete and humble devotion to him. And I can guarantee you that if you saw Jesus as Lord as clearly as Mary did, there wouldn't be a single thing in your life that you wouldn't be willing to lay down at his feet. Because, in, and hear me, your finances, your possessions, that's not what takes care of the poor. Jesus does that. All we can do is partner with him. And hear me, nothing given to God is ever, ever wasted. Hmm. But try as you might, Jesus doesn't become Lord when he has enough of your money to be Lord. Jesus is Lord no matter what. Mary, she recognized that. And so she worshiped. And there are problems and difficult situations that could be going on in your life right now. I don't know what you brought with you. But I do know that one day you might look back on that moment and go, he was there. God, he was with me the whole entire time. It's all throughout these stories. They get it after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They realize that the perfume was to anoint Jesus' body for the burial. However, it was more than likely purchased to be used on Lazarus in the first place, but he's alive now. Remember when she was worried? Lord, he stinks. He stinks because Lazarus hasn't had the perfume poured on him. He hasn't been fully buried yet. But she comes along, she goes, well, I don't have to use it on my brother because you gave him back to me. Can I use it on you? Look at Jesus washing his disciples' feet. While it doesn't make sense to us, we know that the fastest way into a person's heart is through service. If God was trying to create a kingdom that was as fast as he could and as powerful as he could, he would need a group of people that were in a race to the bottom and willing to serve instead of being on a race to the top. Last one, and this is good. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that God doesn't love me. Jesus, in John 11, 12, and 13, he was growing the faith of his followers. 
He was proving that he was the resurrection and the life. He was proving that he had the power over death. And he was inviting them in to believe. Faith, it's the currency of God. It's how he's pleased, right? And so Jesus, he was helping them please God. He was showing them that earthly riches, oh my, they're nothing in comparison to being rich towards God. He was showing that the most fulfilling way to live your life is in service to God and others. Jesus, he was loving them even when they couldn't understand it. We do not want a God. We do not want a God who makes sense. I know there's a part of us that we want to cling to that, but we want one that doesn't make sense. And trust me when I say this, because there are all kinds of things that God does on my behalf and on your behalf that don't make sense. I'll give you an example. Uh, the cross. The cross doesn't make any sense to me. Man, I think you're exactly right. If I'm being transparent with you, after the birth of my son, the, the cross doesn't make sense to me anymore. Mm. How, how in the world could God ever send his one and only son to die on a cross for people that half the time don't even love him back? I, I don't get it. And I really don't think that I could do it myself. The only way that the cross makes sense is to say that there really is a God out there that really does love you. It doesn't make sense to me that the Son of God died on the cross for me. But I think you would all agree that I'm thankful for it. Come on. It doesn't make sense that His grace is a free gift, but I'm glad that I can receive it. It doesn't make sense that His mercies are new every morning, but I'm glad I can walk in them. It doesn't make sense that my future is secure in his nail-pierced hands, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It doesn't make sense to me that God uses people like you and me to build and advance his kingdom, but I'm thankful that I have a place in it. It doesn't make sense that he's put his Holy Spirit inside of me, but I'm glad that I'm not alone. It doesn't make sense to me that Jesus would forgive me for all that I've done, but I don't know where I'd be without it. I don't know about you. But I'm thankful that we serve a God that doesn't make sense. I'm thankful we serve a God who is doing things on my behalf. I don't always understand him, but I can always be thankful for him. And I know that there are some of you right now in a season or a circumstance that it does not make sense to you. And you're going, I don't see God in this. I cannot see his hand. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, said it this way one time. Even if I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. And even though right now you might be in a spot where you cannot see the hand of God moving on your behalf, you can trust the heart of God and know that he is. I want you to think about that as we move to this time of decision. There's something else that doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense to uh, a lot of people in this room. But there are some of you in here today that have never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And for one reason or another, 
You just keep putting it off. And that seems crazy to me. Because there are some of you right now, right now, that when you go home after church today, you're going to see a bunch of dishes in the sink. And you don't want to. You don't want to deal with the dishes. But you're not going to put it off. Because you just won't be right unless you know that they're where they're supposed to be. And there are some of you guys, you're going to drive home and you're going to pull into the garage. And before you get out of the car, you're going to be like, how did I accumulate this many straws and receipts? And you want to get out of the car and just go in and sit down and watch the game. But before you do, you're not going to put it off. You're going to go, these straws, these receipts, this stuff has got to get out of here. If I were to ask you to give a testimony about what dishes have done for you, I'm guessing nobody in their quiet time this week is like, Heavenly Father, I, just, I beseech you with gratitude and thanksgiving in my heart for the porcelain dishes that I get to eat my pizza off of. And I don't know where I'd be, God, if I was on styrofoam right now or paper plates. Guys, I don't think I've ever heard a testimony of like, listen, man, me having a clean car changed my whole life. I used to be this guy, and then I became the clean car guy, and then look where God's taken me. Right? We don't like doing chores. And as you get more mature, you're just like, I just got to get it done. And I just got to gotta ask you, why would you prioritize dishes over the divine? Why would you not put off taking care of the receipts and the straws and the mess? But put off the majestic relationship that you could have with Jesus. I don't get it. We prioritize the things that don't matter, and we don't prioritize the things that matter the most. And the heartbeat of this church is that absolutely every single person that you know, that you meet, that you see, can have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you decide to keep coming to this church for the next 30 years, you're going to hear the next couple of lines every time you show up. Because I'm never going to get tired of telling them that if you were to walk out in the lobby and you were to grab a camera and a microphone and you were to ask everybody to give their testimony, you would hear two uh, recurring themes. The best decision I ever made was starting an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. My biggest regret is I didn't do it sooner. And there are some of you sitting in this room or watching online, and you're going, maybe next week. That don't make no sense. So if you're going, you know what, maybe today's my day. Maybe I got to get some stuff figured out. There's going to be somebody right over there by the baptistry that would love a chance to just talk to you, answer some questions. Just so you know, we don't kidnap you handcuff you and just drag you out in the water in front of everybody. You do all of this on your own free will. It costs you nothing to ask a question. It costs you nothing to go, I need to figure some stuff out. 
It costs you nothing to go, hey, can I get some prayers answered? The only thing you have to lose is the weight of your sin. To the rest of you in the room, you've been following Jesus for a while. And right now you're a little ticked. God, my life is not going the way I thought it would. Things are not turning out how I thought they were going to turn out. God, you know I prayed extra this week. I got up a little early. And even with all of those prayers, this is how things are going in my family. God, I read my Bible for an extra 15 minutes, and Becky was still rude at the office. What's the point? Come here. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome. Some of you, maybe God is going to point people to his son through your suffering. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I know. I know it doesn't. But that's how he did it in your life. Uh, Jesus didn't deserve anything that he got. But because he suffered, we got a savior. And maybe the way we suffer through the things in our life that don't make sense is exactly what God is going to use to point other people to him. So if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, can I give you two little things to do? One, would you be willing to come forward and just spend a little bit of time on your knees thanking God that he doesn't make sense to you? Because I need you to know that nobody in this room wants you to be God. We're thankful that he is. The other thing, could some of us surrender some of our suffering to his glory? Because I think a church like that would be pretty powerful to be a part of. And I want to be a part of it. And I think you do too. Would you stand with me? God, do something that only you can do. Move in a way that only you can move. Bring about a change that only you can originate and only you can sustain. God, I'm nothing. The service is nothing. The worship's nothing. The preaching's nothing. The response time is nothing unless you're in it. So please just do something that only you can do. And I'm asking you to do it in every single heart that is in this room or watching online. Don't leave anybody out. In your name I pray, amen.